President, we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, normally you can't do that. All of a sudden these trees started moving out of the way. They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening and there where I saw Jesus Christ. Welcome in to End Time News. I am your humble host, W. Dean Shook, bringing you the news the mainstream media is never going to touch. And we've got some really interesting stuff today. I want to start this off by saying welcome to all of our listeners on the iHeartRadio network, our regular broadcast affiliates, our internet connections, the Blog Talk Radio Network, hi folks on Blog Talk, and the Spreaker Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I want to start off today's program with a little something about Jeb Bush. This is going to be short. Jeb Bush says, I'm not going to back down on immigration. Well, what is his stand on immigration? Sunday, on CBS's Face the Nation, Jeb Bush said his pro-immigration stance is at odds with the Republican Party, and he's not going to back down. Apparently, he has no idea the majority of Americans are against amnesty for illegals, Then he goes on to say he believes the system is broken. Well, we know the system is not broken. It's the enforcement of the law that's broken. Both Bush and Schieffer are sticking to the narrative that only 11 million illegals came across our border. Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know the 11 million number has been the same for the last 10 years. We know the fact is it's over 30 million, but Jeb refuses to tell the truth on that. Here's what he said. So I have views that that are uh, different than some in our party, and they, you know, that's that's what we'll sort out. If I'm a candidate, I'll go. Well, I'm not going to back down on views on immigration, for example. I think we have a an immigration problem. It's it's a system that's broken. The legal system is broken. We need to narrow family petitioning and expand economic immigrants. We need to enforce the law. And we can't use this. Keep having this be a political issue when we're missing the opportunity to create high that everybody could benefit from. Well, let me just ask you about that. You have said in the past that you do support a path uh, for legal citizenship and residency for the 11 million people here in this country uh, that are here uh, illegally. Uh, a lot of your opponents say that's amnesty. Right. Are you? Do you still favor a path to citizenship for these people? I'm, I'm for a path to legalized status where people get a provisional work permit, where they pay taxes, pay a fine, learn English, 
don't commit crimes, don't receive federal government assistance, and where they earn legal status. They don't earn citizenship. They don't cut in line with people that have been patiently waiting on the outside. That, it seems to be a fair system. But those that are opposed to that or call that amnesty don't have a plan, really, to deal with the 11 million people that are here illegally. Well, President Obama, as you well know, has taken several executive actions uh, on immigration. Would you overturn those actions that he took if you're elected? I think the Supreme Court's going to overturn them. I think it's unconstitutional. I mean, I've read the law. I've written a book about this, and I'm kind of all in on the immigration subject. And the simple fact is he doesn't have the authority to do what he did. He knows that, and he's doing this for political purposes to create a wedge uh, for Democrats to win elections, I think. Well, I think that's their view. So, so now, going forward. If what if the Supreme Court doesn't overturn it? Would you void those actions? The solution ought to be to change the law, and that's what I would do as, as President of the United States. Change the law to create a different status for those so-called Dream Act kids than, than other people. I mean, if you've come here when you were a kid... But you could just over, overturn those. As, as the new president, you could issue another exactly Sure, but I think we need to fix order. the whole immigration system. So That's you wouldn't just do that? No, I, I think it would be the first, one of the first priorities for substantive policy changes is... Now you tell me, would you vote for Jeb Bush if our choice is a Bush or a Clinton... We're done. You know, I want to share a hard truth. We can't really blame the government for all of our country's problems. We have a government that we allow. It's not going to make any difference who you put in office if we continue to let them ride roughshod over us. That's why our founding fathers gave us the Bill of Rights that says that we, the people, have the power to replace our government and replace it with one that's satisfactory to us. We need to start taking responsibility and admit that our government is a reflection of us. All right, let's move on. I want to share with you the gospel according to Nancy Pelosi. That's right, I said Nancy Pelosi. She seems to have uh, different ideas of what it means to be a good Catholic. On Friday evening, Pelosi lashed out at Senator Marco Rubio for being a polarizing figure and not mainstream Catholic like her. When Rubio expressed his very Catholic opposition to same-sex marriage, Pelosi responded by pulling out her purported superior Catholic credentials and started crowing that she had grown up in a mainstream Catholic family. And she expressed her beliefs that Rubio's opposition to same-sex marriage is polarizing, which threatens, quote-unquote, mainstream Christian thinking. Well, Pelosi's reasoning presents two huge problems. First, over the centuries, Jesus Christ had been called many things by admirers and adversaries alike, but mainstream is not one of them. And no one, to my knowledge, has ever suggested that Jesus was anything other than polarizing. Both those who loved him and those who hated him did so precisely because he was polarizing. He was the one, after all, who said, do not think that I come to bring peace on the earth. I've come to bring not peace, but the sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law. You can't get more polarizing than that. Mainstream, on the other hand, sounds remarkably similar to mediocre, or middle-of-the-road, or lukewarm, 
Famously, in the book of Revelation, Jesus said to half-hearted Christians, But because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Christians who aspire to nothing more than being mainstream and mirroring the society around them seem to be not so favorable to Jesus. The second problem is that by mainstream, Nancy Pelosi really means orthodox or with the program. Well, she's wrong again. The Catholic position on gay marriage is unambiguous, allowing no wiggle room whatsoever. According to the Catholic Church, the only moral position concerning same-sex marriage is opposition. In its most authoritative teaching on the question to date, the Vatican asserts that there are absolutely no grounds for considering homosexual unions to be in any way similar or even remotely close to God's plan for marriage and family. Marriage is holy, while homosexual acts go against the natural moral law. While insisting that men and women with homosexual tendencies must be accepted and respected, the Vatican also urged Catholic politicians to acknowledge their particular responsibility to publicly oppose homosexual marriage. Now, it is true that all Catholics are obligated to oppose the legal recognition of homosexual unions. Catholic politicians are obliged to do so in a particular way, in keeping with their responsibility as politicians. If Nancy Pelosi is looking for a church to justify her support of same-sex marriage, it's going to have to come from some other church, because many mainstream Christian churches do now, in fact, allow gay marriage. So she may feel more at home there than in the polarizing institution that she now claims a membership to. Miss Pelosi is free to believe whatever she wants about same-sex marriage or anything else for that matter. She may not, however, do so in the name of the Catholic Church, which teaches nothing of the sort. I'm not a Catholic, but uh, Catholic doctrine is pretty clear. And I want to touch on uh, the Jade Helm controversy. You know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. And this whole thing really got my attention when, as soon as the conspiracy theories started coming out about it being uh, a prelude to martial law, instantly the mainstream media jumped on board and came on and started telling people that uh, whoever was coming up with these things that it had anything to do with martial law were a bunch of tinfoil hat right-wing weirdos. And my first thought was, well, they're jumping on this pretty quick and they are instantly start calling them names. I said, uh, I better look into this. There might be something to it. Otherwise, the mainstream media wouldn't start bashing them so quickly. So I came across a Jade Helm official that reveals its true purpose. This is being reported by DC Clothesline. They said, finally, we're getting into some much-needed honesty with regard to the true nature of Jade Helm. The information is not overtly forthcoming. But in this clumsily made persecution of local Texas officials, one can pretty much ascertain the true nature of the drill. That is, if one can get around the obvious lies being told to the public by the Jade Helm official. The Jade Helm official, Tom Meade, is a senior non-commissioned officer from Army Special Forces, retired. He's now working as a private military contractor. He recently briefed local sheriffs in Big Spring, Texas, as to the purpose and the scope of the Jade Helm exercise. Well, instantly, command leaders said, why do military contractors know more about the drill than senior command leaders? Two of the military sources were agitated beyond words. When they watched this briefing, the quote, one of the sources, he said, this 
Retired non-com knows more about the command officers running Jade Helm than what we do. Now this SOB military contractor who'd sell his own mother down the river are running this operation instead of the generals, colonels, and senior non-coms. Only in the Obama administration could this happen. Now I'm going to play this interview for you. And I want you to listen closely to this clip. This is Tom Mead. And he's explaining in some detail what they're doing and why. But listen to what he says, and I'll come back right after this clip. Uh, I bring you greetings from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, United States Army Special Operations Command. Um, I just want to be able to uh, thank you all for allowing me to speak tonight to the City Council of, of Big Spring. Um, this is, a, this is a, uh, an honor for us to be here. Uh, to address you and, and, and give you some information on the exercise that we'll be conducting uh, this summer uh, in Howard County. Um, my name is Tom Mead. I'm a retired Special Forces Senior Non-Commissioned Officer. Um, I spent 20 years in the Army and spent 13 with Special Operations. Uh, I'm currently a contractor working for United States Army Special Operations Command as an operations planner and an exercise designer for the Jade Helm Project. With me this evening, evening, I have Master Sergeant Tim uh, Robinson. He's an active duty Green Beret with 3rd Special Forces Group out of Fort Bragg. Tim's helping us design this exercise uh, to get it going, make sure it goes in the right direction. So my purpose here this evening is um, we are seeking written uh, invitation and approval from local officials to conduct the realistic military training exercise within the jurisdiction of the city uh, of Big Spring. Through the process, we're required, um, as I'm here tonight, is to receive a or to ask for a letter of invitation from local officials, inviting us into your community to allow us to train our soldiers for the next fight that we could uh, that they could encounter. We're not training for mm -hmm. Afghanistan and Iraq, the things that we've done in the, the last 15 years. We're looking forward, and we want to make sure that these guys are trained properly. <clears throat> this is where we need the help of the local communities. We coordinate with all the local, state, and federal law enforcement. We've already been and we've coordinated with the police chief uh, here in Big Spring. We've coordinated with Sheriff Parker already. Um, we're, we have coordinated up at DPS at the state level already. Uh, so everybody from a law enforcement aspect understands what the exercise is and we want to make sure that we are completely plugged in with them to make sure they understand what's going on. The land use agreements that we do with the, with the local public, we don't just come in to somebody's property and we won't <coughs> trespass on somebody's property without the agreement of that landowner. The licensing agreement truly allows us or it releases liability from uh, the landowner. And we do a, a full risk assessment and medical plan. We've already linked in uh, with the hospital. Uh, we understand how they, they get the uh, life flight. Uh, we also have medical personnel that will be on site to assist should anything happen. What is Jade Helm? Jade Helm is a challenging eight-week exercise. Truly in this area, in the Martin and Howard County area, we're only going to be here for about five to five and a half weeks. The eight weeks comes in where it's the preparation and the planning that happens back in Florida and in the Mississippi area. The exercise is a joint military and interagency activity. 
What this means is we have members or we have units from every military service participating in the exercise with us. And we also have some of our interagency partners such as the FBI, the DEA, and some of the other agencies um, assisting us and working with us in the exercise. The exercise is going to be throughout seven states. Texas is the main bulk of the activity, I would tell you. And we are, spit, we were, are spread from east to west, north to south, throughout the state of Texas. Um, it is a Special Operations Command General Votel sponsored exercise to improve Special Operations Forces' ability to conduct unconventional warfare as part of the national security. Um, the exercise will occur um, from July to September. What we see here in Martin and Howard County is the guys will come in about August 7th or so, and they'll depart somewhere about September 10th or so. Who's participating? As you can see, it's all of our special operators. United States Army Special, Opera or special Forces Command, the Green Berets, Navy SEALs will be conducting operations over in Mississippi and Louisiana. The Air Force Special Operations Command will be flying specialty aircraft for us for infiltration and resupply of, of, the, um, of the operators on the ground. The Marine Special Operators will be working down in the San Antonio area. And the 82nd Airborne Division will jump an entire battalion into Camp Bullis and take down targets inside Camp Bullis on a federal installation. Um, the exercise locations in this area, we're working throughout Martin and Howard County. Um, we've already, as some of you know, uh, we briefed the uh, Howard County uh, Commissioner's Court yesterday morning. We received approval to operate within Howard County. Why did we choose Texas? Number one, United States Special Operations Command has been conducting exercises in Texas. Uh, for, for a few years. Uh, we've done numerous exercises here. Uh, a lot of times you don't hear a lot about it unless someone like me comes to brief you about those exercises. Um, and we know that Texans, we, Texans are historically supportive of our efforts to make sure that our soldiers, sailors, and airmen and Marines are ready to fight that next fight and train them for that next fight. What some of the things that we require is areas of undeveloped land with low population densities. Uh, United States Army Special Operations Command, being the director of the, of the exercise, desires to have a very rural area for us to be able to operate in. Uh, because the last few years, these guys have, uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, they receive um, aerial resupply by helicopter about once a week. They live in buildings. They have connectivity to the Internet to be able to, to, to talk to their command, but also be able to talk to home. Um, when they come out here to Martin and, and Howard County, they're not going to have those luxuries. In the scenario that we've built, they're going to have to operate outside of those normal uh, support mechanisms and rely on the folks, that the, the civilians that are in the area to be able to support them. Um, we have a backside support element that actually will replicate that, but uh, we also ask for, we can't do the exercise without 
the public's help. Uh, things that we look for uh, from that perspective is we look for people that are willing to be a role player, to just be someone who goes and gives a little nugget of information for them to build an intelligence picture to understand the scenario better and be able to operate better. We look for people that uh, are willing to transport our guys because they trans have to move around in a clandestine manner. For example, in the back of a horse trailer in the middle of the night so nobody can see them. These are ways that they have to operate in, um, in foreign countries and when they're not supposed to be in those countries. We also look for landowners and business owners who would be willing to allow us to, on a landowner perspective, to be able to, to use their land, maybe live on their land, or to use a barn or an old barn to be able to conduct a meeting in the middle of the night for them to do planning uh, with a higher command element. Um, shop owners uh, to be able to use a back storeroom or a warehouse to do these types of meetings as well. They have to be, they, they operate in and around communities because that's the way we operate um, throughout the globe. Ordinary citizens are the first ones to notice something that's different. And that, you know, it, it causes them to have to be that much more careful. What can you expect? This, now, understand that this, um, this slideshow is our standard slideshow that we use to brief the counties and, and the cities. Um, within the cities, you won't see most of this, I would tell you. Um, for example, increased aircraft in the area at night. You'll see that out in the rural area. We have a resupply, an aerial drop that will occur, and then some paratroopers as well will, will jump into Martin County. Um, in early August. It won't happen within the city limits. But one of the most important things, and, and I know I've said it previously, is we link in with the law enforcement officers. They know when and where we're conducting activity. That way we actually invite the police department to be near the activity. That way they're able to answer constituent calls on that. The other thing that we do is we brief that prior to the activity going on, that way the, the police chief can let the dispatch know that this is occurring so that when they field phone calls from, dis, uh, from uh, concerned citizens, they're able to uh, meet that off at, or cut that off at the pass. But that's not normally anything that's out of the ordinary in West Texas from what I've seen, especially during hunting season. Um, and they may be driving civilian vehicles uh, throughout the area. So really, within the city limits, if you notice my guys, they're probably really doing something wrong. <clears throat> Clear marking of the participants. That For us, that's one of the, the big things. We make sure that all of our guys have some type of marking that, at, that, um, that they'll be, all be wearing an armband with a marking that identifies them as part of the exercise. So if I, uh, and what I mean by that is, just as we do with the, the law enforcement, if there's activity occurring around an area, we will actually go out to doors and knock on doors, introduce ourselves, and let them know that there'll be activity happening between this time and this time. Mr. Yeah. Mead, uh, how often do you do an operation like this? Is, this? is this done annually? or? Yes, sir. So um, the, the Jade Helm project is a new project that has come along from uh, General Cleveland. 
uh, from his staff uh, at United States Army Special Operations Command. Um, this, this exercise is planned to con be conducted yearly. Um, we, we conduct uh, an exercise that's similar to this, and I, I say similar because the scope and the breadth of the exercise is nowhere comparable to what we do here. But they conduct that exercise six times a year in North Carolina. So did I answer your question, sir? Sure. Yes, sir. Um, I was uh, just had a couple of questions. Um, and you've already started talking to the landowners and yes, setting things up. Um, I just have to ask, how does uh, FBI and DEA work with the military on operation? Well, generally speaking, sir, the FBI and DEA provide us um, um, liaison officers up at our command level, depending on how the, um, how the scenario is written. One of the ways the FBI, FBI and DEA are working with us here is in Arizona, they will actually um, um, do some questioning uh, for us at, at one of the airports in, in Arizona. In Arizona, they will actually um, um, do some questioning uh, for us at, at one of the airports in, in Arizona. Or do y'all use any personnel from uh, NATO, UN, or, or no, sir, DHS? Not, or? Currently for Jade Helm, it is U.S. only. We, uh, that, that has been one of the discussions that um, I'm not sure if it has occurred yet, but we, uh, that, that has been one of the discussions that um, I'm not sure if it has occurred yet, but not sure if it has occurred yet, but that um, I'm not sure if it has occurred yet, but name please. Uh, about three minutes. We got a lot of speakers. My name's Kimberly York, and I actually am one of the county residents, and I'm a little distressed with the fact, A, the county issued an invitation without letting the citizens know that it's going on in the county. Um, I think that we should have been informed. I feel like it's being hidden from us about, you know, and then all of a sudden an invitation's issued and it's on us. And I'm a little bit concerned about that. I, I think as citizens we have the right. I also am a hospice nurse. I have a lot of concerns about our elderly population in this county and in this city by things that are going on and being distressed. It may double our phone calls for home health and hospices because we will be the first persons you call, they call, um, and get distressed. Um, you know, I mean, what the press is putting out is really different than what we're seeing here today. You know, the press is telling us, oh, you're not going to hear about it, you're not going to see it, you're, you know, it's just not going to affect your lives. Well, what we're reading here is that it might affect our lives. And I think as, as citizens of this county, we should have a voice in whether that invitation is issued. Um, I've got some, like I said, some real concerns. Um, there's safeties for civilians. Why are we looking at safety issues if there's no, nothing to see here right now? Um, by the way, I am a military brat. I do support the military. I feel that there's other ways of training than, than inflicting it on the citizens of this county. Thank you. Thank you. Now, this is kind of disturbing. Let me repeat something he said. We require areas of undeveloped land with low population densities. We desire to have a very rural area for us to be able to operate in. In Afghanistan and Iraq, they're receiving aerial resupply by helicopter. 
They have connectivity to the Internet to be able to talk to their command, but also able to talk to home. When they come out here to Martin and Howard County, they're not going to have those luxuries. In the scenario that we've built, they're going to have to operate outside these normal support mechanisms and rely on the civilians that are in the area to be able to help support them. He said, we can't do the exercise without the public's help. Things that we look for from that perspective are people that are willing to role play. Someone who goes and gives a little nugget of information. We look for people that are willing to transport their guys because they have to move around in a clandestine manner. For example, in the back of a horse trailer in the middle of the night so nobody can see them. These are the ways that they have to operate in foreign countries when they're not supposed to be in those countries. We want to be able to use barns to do our planning in the middle of the night. Well, let me say this. The mere severing of communications through satellite is enough to abort any Special Forces mission or Green Berets or Navy SEALs. They don't need satellite communications to communicate. They have alternative modes that they can do. So they need to practice for special operations to be without communication. Well, for me, this sounds like a total grid-down scenario. So if we were hit, with, say, with an EMP, either from another country or a natural EMP, I think it's only then that there would be no communication at all. I'm just saying that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Here's something else he said. He said this in the beginning. What is Jade Helm? Jade Helm is an eight-week exercise. We also have our interagency partners participating, such as the FBI and the DEA. So why the DEA? The DEA tracks the Mexican drug cartels. Judicial Watch has links to drug cartels to ISIS and base camps just on the other side of the border. A Texas Ranger said that the Walmarts were being converted into supply centers for the military. For the military? The military that we use to fight against ISIS insurgents into Texas, he said. Well, here's another one that just raises questions. They put out a list of seven states. And the Jade Helm lie that the drill is only seven states, Texas, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, Colorado, California, and New Mexico is fully exposed. They admit all of those. But in the interview, he says the Navy SEALs will be conducting operations within Mississippi and Louisiana. These two states are not on the Jade Helm list of seven. Now, I understand they don't want to reveal everything they might be doing, but... The last thing they want to do is lie about it. Every time they tell a lie, red flags go up for we the people. It's one thing to only tell part, but at least be honest about what you do tell us. I'm not willing to say that this is a precursor to martial law, but I will say we need to keep our eyes and ears open on this. And for specific reasons. You know, they're trying to take the guns out of the hands of law-abiding Americans. Listen to this. According to The Hill... They're introducing a House bill that would require gun owners to have liability insurance. Now, this is just the first one. The Firearms Risk Protection Act, unveiled Friday, would require gun buyers to have liability insurance coverage before being allowed to purchase a weapon and would impose a fine of $10,000, $10,000, if an owner is found not to have it. Service members and law enforcement officers, however, would be exempt from the requirement. They said, we require insurance to own a car, but not such requirement exists for guns. This according to Maloney, who said in a statement, the results are clear. Car fatalities have declined by 25% in the last decade. 
but gun fatalities continue to rise. Maloney said auto insurance carriers incentivize drivers to take precaution to reduce accidents, but no such incentives exist for firearm owners. An insurance requirement would allow the free market to encourage cautious behavior and help save lives. Adequate liability coverage would also ensure that the victims of gun violence are fairly compensated when crimes or accidents occur. This is the second time Maloney, who is one of the biggest gun control advocates in Congress, has introduced this legislation. A few weeks ago, she introduced legislation that would require sellers to obtain background checks for all guns sold at gun shows. The Gun Show Loophole Closing Act, long championed by former Rep. Carolyn McCarthy, Democrat from New York, would subject anyone selling or transferring a gun to the National Instant Background Check System and require the transfer to be reported to the Attorney General. Well, I guess if uh, an insurance requirement would allow the free market to encourage cautious behavior and help save lives, an adequate liability coverage would also ensure that the victims of gun violence are fairly compensated when crimes or accidents occur. That is, if the person is a legal gun owner. We know there's hundreds of thousands, probably millions of guns on the streets that are in the hands of people who are not supposed to have them. They're not registered, and they didn't pass any background check, and they won't be having any insurance. And in their efforts, since they can't ban guns outright, Obama's brand new DOJ is to circumvent Congress with more than a dozen new gun controls. Obama's Department of Justice is working on more than a dozen new gun control regulations it plans to begin implementing apart from Congress. Some of the regulations are set to be put in place by November, others simply by the end of the Obama administration. According to The Hill, the regulations range from new restrictions on high-powered pistols to gun storage requirements and the issuance of new rules expanding criteria for people who do not qualify for gun ownership. Part and partial to this new criteria will be an ATF-implemented ban on gun owners for anyone who is convicted of a misdemeanor domestic violence. Gun Owners of America, Michael Hammond, warns that under the rule, the person barred from gun ownership would be one who's spanked his kid or yelled at his wife or a wife who has slapped her husband. The new regulation will also include ATF enlargements of mental health-based gun ownership bans. Hammond summed this up by saying, Obama administration is trying very hard to disqualify people from owning a gun on the basis that they're seeing a psychologist. The NRA pointed out that because most mentally ill people pose no threat to society, the new regulations will actually become snares for masses of mostly harmless individuals. The NRA added, not only is this unjust and stigmatizing, it creates disincentives for those who need mental health treatment to seek it, increasing whatever risks are associated with untreated mental illness. In other words, people who might actually need some minor mental health attention may refuse to pursue it for fear of losing their guns. The ATF is also working on rules that would require gun dealers to report gun thefts, provide gun storage, and safety devices. Loretta Lynch's DOJ now has the Second Amendment in her sights, and I'm sure that there's more to come. And speaking of illegal guns, Ferguson Effect, America's new crime wave. According to some, it's part of a plan. 
The Wall Street Journal's calling the dramatic end of America's two-decade-long drop in crime the Ferguson Effect, led behind the scenes by President Obama. America's fraudulent civil rights leader Al Sharpton and the mainstream media, especially CNN, worked together, starting with their lies in Ferguson, to launch hate campaigns against the police. The result is an empowering criminal element and, by extension, a horrific increase in murders, shootings, and other violent crimes. Gun violence is up more than 60% compared with this time last year, according to the Baltimore Police, with 32 shootings over Memorial Day weekend. May has been the most violent month in the city has seen in 15 years. In Milwaukee, homicides were up 180% through April. Shootings in St. Louis were up 39%. Robberies are up 43%. Homicides up 25%. They say crime is the worst they've ever seen it. And according to St. Louis Alderman Joe Vaccaro at a May 7th city hearing says crime is the worst I've ever seen it. Murders in Atlanta were up 32%. Shootings in Chicago had increased 24%. Homicides, 17%. Shootings and other violent felonies in Los Angeles have spiked by 25% in New York. Murder was up nearly 13%, and gun violence is up 7%. Shooting incidents are up 500% in East Harlem Precinct compared to last year. In the South Central Los Angeles Police Division, shooting victims are up 100%. And... I think we can rest assured none of the shooters had insurance or were legal to have a gun. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about Hillary Clinton, who's being brought up on RICO charges. RICO is the Racketeer Influence and Corruption Organization Act. And we'll get to those stories and much more right after this short break. You're listening to End Time News. All right, welcome back. And the song you just heard was done by Tim Hawkins. I just had to play that. I enjoyed that song so much. GoDaddy offers everything you need to make a name for yourself on the web, from domain names and website builders to complete e-commerce solutions. We've earned our place as the world's number one accredited domain registrar by delivering world-class products at competitive prices and support them with industry-best services delivered 24-7, 365. We're proud to serve our customers from locations around the world. Sign up now at wdstrip.com and get your domain name as low as $5.99 a year. Sign up now at wdeanshook.com. Go, Daddy. Go, Daddy. Hi, folks. Have you noticed the federal government and police departments are using drones for everything? Drones are expensive. They're hard to fly. It can take up to a week just to learn to make a drone hover. Not anymore. There's a new generation of drones that are not only affordable, but very easy to fly. Now, you can have your own personal drone, anything from a micro mini that'll fit in the palm of your hand, right up to a full-scale model, 10 inches in diameter like the model I have, the V949 Pro. Comes with a 6-axis 4-rotor blade and an HD 2.4 camera mounted on the bottom. These drones are made of a space-age polymer. They're durable. And don't worry about crashing your drone. 
Replacement blades for this drone from the website are only $1.80 for a pack of four. That's right, I said $1.80 for a pack of four replacement blades. You can also get an extra long life battery. This battery allows you up to a half hour of fly time with a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour. Have your own personal drone and you can get all of this for under $70. If you go to the website, wdeanshook.com, and click on the banner on the webpage, you can get from 7 to 22% off your personal drone. It's shipped as a kit. You can be up and flying your own personal drone with an HD camera within a half hour. Come to the webpage, wdeanshook.com. Click on that banner and get your discount today, wdeanshook.com. WND exclusive 
Judge sets a trial for RICO claims against Clinton, a federal judge in Florida, scheduled a trial for January for a case charging Bill and Hillary Clinton with RICO violations. The racketeer-influenced and corrupt organization case was filed by Larry Clayman of Freedom Watch, who alleges over the last decade the Clintons have participated in acts that constitute a criminal enterprise that was designed to enrich them. According to Clayman, the Clintons, through mail and wire fraud and false statements, misappropriated documents which he was entitled to receive and possess under the Freedom of Information Act regarding Hillary Clinton's involvement in releasing Israeli war and cyber warfare plans and practices. Hillary Clinton orchestrated this release to harm and thwart Israel's plans for a preemptive attack on Iran's nuclear sites to stop the Islamic nation's march to produce atomic weapons, according to Clayman. The claim also explains Clayman used the nation's FOIA to try to get details from the State Department regarding waivers to do business with Iran. These acts alleged to be the result of the defendants selling government influence in exchange for bribes and interests which have donated to the Clinton Foundation. They were paid huge speaking fees to the Clintons and other means. The order comes from Judge Donald Middlebrooks, U.S. District Judge for the Southern Court of District of Florida in West Palm Beach. The Clintons Foundation also has been embroiled in scandal recently, with details being revealed about new foreign interests that made donations to the Clinton-controlled organization during Hillary Clinton's tenure as senior government official. Defendants have systematically and continuously over the last 10 years and more conducted a corrupt enterprise in violation of the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act, the filing claims, all of which acts are continuing in nature. And we're going to talk about some immigration here. With hundreds of thousands of Muslims being shipped into the U.S., many to Minnesota, these Muslims are brutally honest that they want Sharia. The Cedar Riverside section of Minneapolis is home to the University of Minnesota. Some tasty ethnic foods, brutally cold winters, it's also known as a hotbed of Islamic terror recruitment. Al-Shabaab, the Islamist group based in Somalia, has had a field day there over the past six or seven years. Dozens of young Muslims have left the streets of Cedar Riverside, referred to by some Minnesotans as Little Mogadishu, for its high concentration of Somali refugees. They say they travel abroad and fight for terrorist groups. Some have joined Somali's notorious Al-Shabaab, which slaughtered 147 Christians at a university in Kenya last month, while others have opted for ISIS in Syria. The goal is the same, to join their brothers in the fight to establish a Sharia-compliant utopia known as a caliphate. But one would expect that those would walk the streets of this quiet neighborhood to be a bit less fanatical in their views, right? Well, on Friday, a camera crew with David Horowitz Freedom Center released a video posted to Robert Spencer's blog, Jihad Watch, in which documentary filmmaker Amai Horowitz interviews Somali men and women on the streets of Cedar Riverside. The answers to the questions about Islamic law, American law, and issues of peace and freedom were very revealing. I have a sound clip from that interview. Here it is. This is the Cedar Riverside neighborhood of Minneapolis. 
It's known for the University of Minnesota, phenomenal ethnic food, and the export of American fighters to the terrorist groups ISIS and al-Shabaab. In fact, it's reported that dozens of young Muslims from this community have gone to fight for these organizations. So we hit the street to find out what is going on. Is it easy to be Muslim in America, or is it, or is it hard? It's easy to be Muslim. It's easy to be Muslim. Yeah. Nobody gives you problems. No, it's no problem. And you, you go to school here, obviously. Yeah. And the, the kids are they good to you? Are they nice to you? Are they? Is it? Is it a tough? Is it tough? Oh yeah, yeah. It's not tough at all. It's not tough at all. No. This is a free country. That's the beauty of it. So we love America. I mean, you know, it's a great country. Freedom of speech, freedom of choice of your religion. Right. So we don't have any issues. Do you feel more comfortable living under American law, or do you feel more comfortable living under uh, Sharia law? Uh, Sharia law. I'm a Muslim. I prefer Sharia law. Sharia law, yes. You prefer uh, Sharia law over American law? Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah. And do you find most of your friends uh, feel the same way? Yeah, of course, if you're Muslim, yeah. Sharia law, it says if you steal something, they cut off your hand. So basically, they can leave their doors, their stores, doors open. Nobody's going to steal anything because the Sharia is so tight. Usually, they, they don't do anything. The smallest things usually have big consequences. And he can make his daughter marry somebody. Yeah, he can. Yeah, he can. He has the authority, you know? The authority. Right? Yeah, to do that. Yeah. So here, how young do you think it's okay? Uh, yeah, 15. How do you feel when, when this whole controversy with the Prophet Muhammad and people depicting the Prophet in cartoons, how does the whole thing make you feel? That really pisses me off, you know what I mean? Because it's, I mean, they know it's a button to push. Uh, that makes me angry. Uh, it's just that everyone gets, like, the big freedom, and then they don't see that they, they're, the freedom that they're getting causing a problem. Uh, it's cast in hatred for other people. Would it be better if we made it illegal in America to make fun of the Prophet Muhammad? Definitely, yeah. Do you think we should make a law that makes it illegal to... Uh, to, to that would be better, yeah. That would be better. Yeah. To stop, you know, yeah. uh, aggression. I was so upset and I was so mad. They insulted our religion, they insulted our prophet, and we couldn't take it. And they shouldn't be allowed to do that? Oh my God. Big time, yes. Do you understand the motivation behind the people then who who strike out violently against people who depict the Prophet Muhammad? Yeah, I understand totally where I'm coming from. Yeah. You understand why they feel motivated to do that? Yes, because when you when you when you every day face frustration and you know uh, every day you have uh, um, uh, you know you're mad or somebody say that or you say hate yourself, you can do anything you want. You 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 commit suicide. You don't care because. You, you, your heart, your heart is telling you, I don't want to live no more, because you, you couldn't take that much hate, or you, 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 you kill someone. In a way, they kind of deserved it. Yes. Yeah, no, every action has a consequence. Is it right to kill somebody who insults Muhammad? Yeah, because she is just, uh, she had the religion, I understand, but she shouldn't pick up the prophet, you know? Do you understand why people would want to attack her? Yeah. If you have a choice, would you yeah. rather live here or would you rather live in a Muslim country? I'd rather live in a Muslim country with my people. Would you prefer to live in America or prefer to live in Somalia? For me, I think it's Somalia. You prefer to live in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. Would you rather live in America or live in Somalia? I would rather live in Somalia. I'm not Americanized. I just I just speak fluent and I'm, you know what I mean, I'm articulate and I can articulate what I'm trying to say, you know what I mean? That's about it. But other than that, I mean, as far as my 
culture and my preferences and everything is still Somali, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even, yeah, even though here you have all the freedom and stuff like that? And even though I have all the freedom... Do you think life might be better in Somalia than, mm-hmm. than here? Because you now you have the, uh, the freedom of it, of of practicing your religion right. while working and doing your other things. Well, you heard it in their own words. Now, the U.S. State Department has distributed about 100,000 Somali Muslims into cities across America since 1991. It's part of a refugee resettlement program. In Minnesota, the resettlements paid for with U.S. tax dollars have been carried out by Lutheran Social Services, Catholic Charities, and World Relief under contract with the federal government. Andrew Luger, the U.S. Attorney for Minnesota, admitted last month that following the arrest of six Somali men from the state on charges that they repeatedly tried to book and board flights to join up with ISIS in Turkey and Syria, he said, we have a terror recruitment problem in Minnesota. But in the eyes of some Somalis in Minneapolis, it's clearly not terrorism to kill someone for criticizing their prophet. It's just part of being a Muslim. And this is a very interesting story, and this is just a part of it. You can get the full story. It'll be published on the website at wdeanshook.com right after the program. Make sure you go read this full story. And according to Shafley, I don't know if you know who she is. She's a famous conservative. She says Obama is waging war on America. This is being reported by WND. President Obama is instigating a war in the United States, according to longtime conservative icon Phyllis Shafley. But the president hasn't dropped a bomb or fired a shot. Rather, he's opened the door to tens of millions of immigrants and refugees from all over the world, including from Muslim countries that hate America. It's waging war on America, Shafley told WND. Muslims would like to take over the world and establish their caliphate. Obama has let so many Muslims in, she said, I don't think there should be any more let into this country. There's no reason for them to come here. Well, in a study released last fall, the Center for Immigration Studies reported nearly 300,000 immigrants from purportedly Muslim countries entered the United States from 2010 to 2013. That brought the total number of immigrants from predominantly Muslim countries to 2.4 million, compared to the 2.1 million in 2010 and 1.5 million in 2000. Stephen Camarota, director and research of the Center for Immigration Studies, said Americans should be alarmed about the growing number of Syrian refugees coming to America. It's clear the administration does want to dramatically accelerate immigration from Syria through the refugee program, That's very troubling because there's no way to accurately vet or carefully vet people for their prior bad acts and association with terrorism. Camarota told WND the records were always weak, the regime always corrupt, and now what records did exist are largely gone. For the most part, our immigration system runs on autopilot. With the approval of both parties, Camarota said, it's just not right to think of this as mass legal immigration. Refugees, family immigration is being attributed to Obama. Camarota said the Somali Bantus is an example. He said they were captured in Mozambique and brought to Somalia as slaves. Where they reside today is a marginalized ethnic minority. That's the Bantus. Their kinsmen still live in Mozambique. 
Camarota argued it would make sense for the U.S. government to help the Bantus return to Mozambique, especially since Mozambique has expressed a willingness to take him back. But instead, the U.S. has resettled him in America. But this is not just Muslims. Now remember our lead story to the program today about Jeb Bush and sticking to the narrative that it's 11 million illegals. Here's the truth. American prides itself on being people who have a government. But these days, it more often seems as if we've got a government that has people. And the government's even selecting who its people will be, having within a generation essentially imported a state's worth of people through immigration. Since 1970, the number of Hispanics of Mexican origin in the U.S. has jumped from fewer than 1 million to more than 33 million. And all of these Mexicans were a state, it would be the second largest state population in the country, trailing only California. Well, did you vote to approve that immigration policy? Did anyone? In fact, the federal government allowed it to happen without any voter input. Camarota says that's by design. He said in recent years, Congress has attempted to draft legislation to deal with illegal immigration. While the controversial Gang of Eight bill passed the Senate in 2013, it died in the House after one of its authors redrew his support. Immigration is a difficult topic, one that will require difficult discussion. Well, instead, the Obama White House would prefer to short-circuit the political discussion. President Obama warned last summer he would act to grant amnesty to millions of illegals. He said America cannot wait forever for Congress to act. That's why today I'm beginning a new effort to fix as much of our immigration system as I can on my own without Congress. Well, in February, a federal judge put a hold on the policy while he determined its legality. The administration admits it went right on ahead, issuing 2,000 more waivers. Now an appeals court has upheld the stay, but the White House says it will press ahead. Our dictator-in-chief says the administration's enforcement policies, including our focus on deporting felons and not families and many other executive actions on immigration, continue to move forward. White House spokesman Eric Schultz told reporters this week it would be a shame if an issue so critical like this became mirrored in a political dispute. But Schultz has it exactly backwards. If our representative system of government means anything, it should mean that the people have a say in the big issues that are facing our country. Apparently, Mr. Obama doesn't agree with that. Well, let's look at some overseas news. It seems that a boy in India, five years old, has been beheaded in a suspected child sacrifice. This is being reported by MSN that a suspected occultist beheaded a five-year-old boy in a rural sacrifice in northeast India before being lynched by an angry villagers. The father of the decapitated youngster said his son, Satana Bag, had been enticed into a home of Nanu Murda, who then butchered him as an offering to the Hindu goddess of power, Kali, in front of his makeshift temple. Sanatan was lured with chocolates by the sorcerer's Nainu to a temple where he sacrificed him by beheading him in front of the altar. Sejan Bag told local television that after Sanatan's body was found in a pool of blood on Thursday night, villagers then turned on him and killed Murada. He said, we're investigating it as a pure case of occult practice or personal rivalry that led to the incident. 
While the overwhelming majority of Indian practices mainstream religions, there are occults reported of human sacrifices in rural areas such as the remote and impoverished northeast of the country. Well, remember we talked about uh, Nancy Pelosi's and the Catholic view of homosexuality? Well, it seems that the United Methodists say that practicing homosexuality doesn't contradict Christian doctrine. Oh, boy. This is being reported by Christian Headlines. The United Methodist Church leadership has voted to submit a proposal that the 2016 General Conference that would remove prohibitive language about homosexuality from the United Methodist Book of Discipline. The proposal removes homosexuality and the performance of same-sex weddings from the church list of chargeable offenses. Under the proposal, United Methodist pastors would be able to perform same-sex marriages in church. The Connection Table group voted 26 to 10 with one abstaining to submit their proposal. Bishop Bruce R. Auf, chairman of the Continual Table, said the group had a very thoughtful, respectful, heartfelt decision and earnest desire to discern God's will. Jennifer McClare, senior editor of Charisma, disagrees. She says pastors are supposed to teach people the difference between holy and profane. If you were going to condone the practice of homosexuality, what's stopping us from allowing pastors to commit adultery without rebuke? She wrote in a column for Charisma. Why not let drunken revelers lead kids' church? Why not give greedy thieves the responsibility of church funds? The point is, practicing homosexuality is not the only sin the Bible calls out in this verse. So many gay rights activists like to stress, she added, so why does the sinful practice of homosexuality get this special protection? Well, they may be able to change it in their Methodist book of discipline. My book of discipline starts with Genesis, ends with Revelation, and cannot be edited. And uh, I think I'm going to stick with that one. So here's one from the mainstream alphabet networks. Don't deem to be newsworthy. The Washington Post is reporting Houthi rebels in Yemen are holding multiple American prisoners. Now, why haven't we heard about this? The rebel group that has seized power in Yemen has taken at least four U.S. citizens prisoner. According to U.S. officials who said the efforts to ensure these Americans' release have faltered, one of the prisoners have been cleared for release in recent days, only to have the decision reversed by a member of the Houthi rebellion that toppled the U.S. government earlier this year. The Americans are believed to be held in a prison in Sana'a, the Yemeni capital, which has been bombed repeatedly as part of an air campaign led by Saudi Arabia, and it's aimed at dislodging the Houthis from power. The United States has provided intelligence support to the operation. U.S. officials said three of the prisoners worked as private sector jobs, and then a fourth, whose occupation is unknown. The official said none of the four were U.S. employees of the federal government, like I guess that would make a difference. The Houthis are part of the Shiite sect that receives backing from the government of Iran. The United States and Iran are engaged in tense negotiations over Tehran's nuclear program. U.S. officials have denounced Iran's detention and trial of Washington Post reporter Jason Rezan, both U.S. officials said there have been no contact with Iran over the Americans being held in Yemen. And apparently there's no contact between that news, the mainstream media, and us. So I'm proud and pleased to be able to bring that to you. 
Now let me remind everyone, you can download the mobile app for your iPhone or your Android at Google Play or the App Store. It's absolutely free. In fact, we just updated it. Download your free mobile app for your iPhone or Android today and never miss another episode of End Time News. And as usual, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, I'll be back with more Truth in the News. See you next time. Thank you. You can get these full stories and more at WDeanShook.com. That's WDeanShook.com.